You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen. Welcome here this morning. If you get right to risk it right to it, get in your Bibles to John uh, chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, stick your hand up. One of the ushers will be more than happy to get a copy of God's Word into your hands. Uh, while you're getting there, let me just give you a quick update on a few things. As you know, uh, we have been watching uh, uh, urgently the hurricanes that have been happening down south. And uh, you've been wondering what is we at church going to do to, to respond. And I want you to know that we're not just sitting idly back. Uh, hopefully, you know, our missions thing is we're going to pray, give, go. Hopefully, you're already praying. You're already praying. Yep, good. And so just so you know, a week and a half ago, we already gave. We gave, started with a $5,000 gift to a sister churches in Texas to buy some boats to go in and rescue some people. Didn't tell you that last week because there's so much going on. But if you want to give, we have sister churches in Texas. We have sister churches in Florida. We even have a sister church in Turks and Caicos. So we're kind of monitoring so how we can help. And so we're going to keep giving as the needs come as we can. So if you want to help with that, uh, you can give in your offering. Just part, uh, put on a hurricane uh, relief and we'll get that to the appropriate people to help clean up and, and show people the love of Jesus in those really harsh tragedies. So we're watching earnestly. The other thing we want to let you know is that we're also thinking of if there's people, we'll, we'll go. Seeing as we have people on ground in every one of those locations, we'll go. And so if you ha- can get off work or have time off work and want to go and help, if you can send uh, missions at Harvest Niagara an email, because there's no point in organizing a trip if no one's going to go, right? You with me? So if you can go, please email Terry, and we're going to see what we can do, and we're continually touching base uh, with people to see how we can help. And so keep praying, too. Uh, I realize today that we get to meet in uh, freedom. We get to meet in no worries or fears of hurricanes. This is, we shouldn't take this for granted. Amen? We, uh, we are so blessed, and so uh, we want to also share that blessing with others. Um, so just make note of that. Uh, all right, so let's start uh, this new sermon series off with a question. Let's start with a question this morning. And so give me a show of hands, and it's going to be a pop quiz, one question. It's going to be right or wrong. Show of hands. Don't blurt it out, because I know you want to blurt it out. Just hold your hand up when I, if you know the answer. What do we end every service with at Harvest Niagara? What three words do we end every service with? Good. You guys got it? You guys got it? Don't say it. Don't say it. Keep it up. Keep it up. I want to see some of you guys are like, ah, you think you're going to be wrong. You're not wrong. I'm going to give you a further clue, okay? There's also on the banner as you leave. It's the, now a couple of you are like, yeah, I know. It's also on the sign as you're on your way out. Yep. I got it. So who's going who's gonna to give me the answer today? You can put your hands down. Who's going to give me the answer? Everyone's like, no, no, he's not going to make me give an answer. Chris is sweating bullets right now. You are loved. Come on, with passion, with excitement, like, like you mean it. You are loved. That's it. You are loved. If you're new to us, we do that on purpose because we really believe that there is a God out there that loves us and cherishes us. Those three words are game changers for every single heart who truly knows and understands them. Get this, God made us in a way that we long to hear the words, you are loved over and over. I don't care if you think you have it all together, if you think your life is a mess today, what you long for deep in your soul is to hear these words over and over, you are loved. And it's not just a harvest thing. It's not just an our church thing. This is a God thing. And I think what I know what God wants us to learn in this next sermon series, what he wants us to dial into, what he wants us to not just know but really know in our hearts is those three simple words, you're loved. I know you've heard it over and over, but you need to hear it again today. Just stop and let it sink in. This is, this is from God to you. You are loved. Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe it? 
It's okay to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, but, but do you really believe it in a way that it changes how you live your life? I am praying this coming year that, that that wouldn't just be an intellectual concept in our minds and hearts, but that we would grow in our capacity to see and understand the love of God for us, that it would change the way that we think and the way that we see and the way that we talk and the way that we walk and change our relationships, it would change everything about who we are. Because that's what God desires for us as believers. And so we're going to start our new sermon series. The whole theme of the year is You Are Loved. First series, seven weeks on just God's extravagant love for you. We're going to start our sermon series in John 3.16. Familiar verse, right? Familiar verse. Even the people that don't know God and don't know church, they know this verse. So familiar to us, I think it becomes kind of mute in our ears. But think about it. John 3.16, you see it everywhere. You see it on billboards. You see it on billboards. There it is. See, John 3.16. You see it on T-shirts. Everywhere you look, you see it in tattoos. I even learned this morning tidbit for you. Our drummer has a John 3.16 tattoo. Didn't know that. This guy's way tougher, so he gets the screen, though. Sorry, Justin. John 3.16. You see it on bumper stickers. You even see it at sporting events, right? Usually it's the, behind the goalposts of a football game. You see John 3.16, sometimes in those contexts. <laughs> guy's running for his life. You see it in art. Right? We see it everywhere. We know it. Know it so well, you probably don't have to look at your Bibles to memorize. Can you quote it for me this morning? You know it so well, you probably can quote it, can you? Let's try it. Okay? It doesn't matter what version you know, I don't care. It doesn't matter if you get some words wrong, I don't care. Let's just, as, as much as we can, try, try and understand it and, and mean it as you say it. John 3, 16, I'll turn my mic off so you guys go. For the begotten's, right? <laughs> but here's the thing. We know it. We know it but do we really know it? Or has the fullness of the meaning of that verse somehow escaped us and eludes us because it's become so familiar to us? May it not be so. Listen to what Max Licato says about John 3.16. It's so powerful. A 24-word parade of hope beginning with God and ending with life and urging us to do the same. A 24-word parade of hope beginning with God and ending with life and urging us to do the same. Brief enough to write on a napkin or memorize in a moment, yet solid enough to weather 2,000 years of storms and questions. If you know nothing about the Bible this morning, start here. If you know everything in the Bible, return here. We all need the reminder, the, need the reminder, the heart of the human problem is the heart of the human. And God's treatment is prescribed in John 3, 16. He loved, he gave, he, we believe, and we live. The words of scripture to the human heart are what the Mississippi River is to America, an entryway into the heartland. This is the essence of the gospel, brothers and sisters. This is the most amazing news you can ever hear. It's really a summary of all that God's been teaching in John 3 up to this point, Nicodemus and being born again. You know where it all starts and ends? It starts and ends with the love of God. God's love is extravagant. We need to know this and believe this and live this. Let me pray before we actually dive into the text because I know that no matter how I communicate this, we so desperately need God to open his, our eyes and our hearts to see and hear and understand this yet again. So let me pray. Pray with me, please, as we get on our faces before our God. Oh God, you are so awesome too wonderful for words, too marvelous for comprehension. God, you are the eternal king of kings. 
Lord, I thank you this morning that we can come together and worship you, that we can hear from your word today, oh God, that we can unpack the scriptures, I pray, in a way that we're not just gonna be hearers of the word, but the way that our hearts are gonna be impacted. It's gonna change the trajectory of our lives. Oh God, would you help us this morning understand this simple yet profound truth that you are real, oh God, and you love us. Help us, Lord, for those here that maybe have been to church their whole lives and they've known this, but they've never experienced the love of God. Oh, today, Lord, may you be so gracious to to make today the day where they actually encounter the love of God. For those here that are doubting, Lord, those here that just came for whatever reason with friends or they just got dragged here and they don't really believe, oh God, would you help them believe today? Would you give them faith in their hearts? Would you open up their minds and their hearts to see the totality, the depths of your love for them? God, for those that are here that have maybe known this truth but it's become cold and stale in their hearts or maybe wandered from this truth, being able to recite this verse but really meaning nothing in their hearts, dead to it, oh God, would you revive them in the truth of your love? For those, God, here that already know this truth and understand it to a point, we recognize that we can never fully grasp the fullness of your love. Would you enlighten us once more, Lord? Would you take us a little deeper this morning into the love of God, I pray, that we might all be changed by you and by your presence. God, this is our prayer, to meet with you, the living God. Anything else, Lord, is a miss on the whole morning, so help us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, here we're going to go. Here's, here we're going to go. We're going to go uh, good this morning. We're going to hit it five different points on showing you how extravagant the love of God is. God's love is extravagant. Point number one, it's extravagant because it's from a supreme source. It's extravagant because it's from a supreme source. It's from God himself. This love is like no other because it comes from the one who is like no other. Look at the first two words of this. We're so desperate for love in our day and age. We're so desperate for love. We miss the first two words of this whole verse and we get to the love part. Just tell me I'm loved. Just tell me I'm loved. But guess who loves you? Not just anybody loves you. Guess who loves you for, who is it? God. For God. Don't miss that. The, the significance, the the the. the, 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 the the, the, the supremacy of God in, in this whole verse. Who is God? God is the supreme one, uh, supreme natural being as creator and sustainer of the universe. This love that you truly long for, you look for it in the world, but you know the only place you can truly find the love that your heart longs for? It's only found in God. To help you grasp a little bit of the understanding of how big God's love is, you first have to understand this, the magnificence of who God is. Who is God? God is Jehovah, the Bible says. This simply means the independent, self-complete being. God is the only one in the universe with this title, I am who I am. Belongs to Jehovah God and God alone. God has many names that are attached to Jehovah. God is Jehovah Mkadesh, the God who sanctifies. God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. God is Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace. God is Jehovah Rapha, the Jehovah... God who heals, God is Jehovah Nisi, God our banner. God is El Shaddai, God Almighty. God is Adonai, Master or Lord. God is Elohim, strength or power. Get this, God is the supreme one who created and controls all things. And get this, this is the God who loves you. We all love to name drop. We all love to say, well, who I know and who I love. Get this, this is the God who loves you. 
Think of this. As, you want to know how big God is? We can't really fully comprehend, but think of how big his creation is. We are told that there's at least 100 billion galaxies that scientists know of. And in each of those 100 billion galaxies, there's more, I'm sure, infinite there's a hundred billion stars. Do you realize when you look outside at night in a clear night, you can only see about 3,000? Awesome. Think of the, the planets in our solar system. Think of just the planets in our solar system, the um, Mercury and Venus and Earth and Mars and Jupiter and Saturn and Uranus and Neptune and Pluto. Think, think of all that is vast that God created. Get this, all that we see in creation. God is the one behind it all. God is infinite, he's beyond measure, he's omnipotent, he's all-powerful, he's omnipresent, he's always there and everywhere. God is omniscient, he is all wisdom. God is immutable, which means he is unchanging. All that God is, he is always being. God is transcendent, it means he is the highest being who is good and has moral, absolute rightness. This is God. Your mind a little bit boggled by now? Just wait. God's not just infinite. God is also intimate. It's this God whose love we're talking about here. It's this God who wants to reach out and say to us again today, you are loved. That's really the whole message of the Bible. That's the whole message of John 3, 16. God is not just in control of the cosmos and he's up there doing his thing. God is also reaching down because he wants his creation to know him and love him and to receive the love that he has. God's love is extravagant because God is a supreme being. You have to understand that as we get into this. It's not a mini little weep, wimpy little love we're talking about. It's a love from God himself. Look at the next two words. For God so loved. For God so loved. Second thing you write in your notes is this. God loves you and get this. It's a radically different kind of love. It's unconditional. It's a radically different kind of love. It's unconditional. Why is God's love so extravagant? Because God's love is something like we have never seen on this earth apart from him. It's a love that we can't muster up in and of ourselves. It's a love that originates in God and from God. First John 4, 8 says that God is love. It doesn't say that God is loving. It says that God is love. In other words, the very nature of his being is love. His DNA is love. Don't get this wrong, though, because many misunderstand this. They say, well, if God is love, and he can't be all the other attributes at the same time. As much as God is love, he is also, the Bible tells us, holy. His name is holy. He is also righteous. He is also justice. He is also jealous. He is also wrath. He is also truthfulness. He is also mercy. He is also blessedness. Here's the thing that, that we have to understand about God. God can be all of these things at the exact same time in all of their fullness. As we're talking about God as love, it doesn't mean like, okay, I elevate God's love over everything else and nothing else matters. That's not it. But it's also not why I elevate everything else and God's love doesn't matter. God can be all of these things at the exact same time. And the other attributes don't neglect the fullness and the totality of God's love. Get this, brothers and sisters. God has sovereignly determined to love because it's who he is. For God so loved. 
Let me help you understand this word love so you can fully grasp the significance of this because we, we, we so long for love and we so look for love that there's books written about love and there's songs written about love. There's movies, chick flicks are all written on love, right? And about love and there's poems. And so sometimes we hear this word love and we think kind of narrow-minded, worldly definition of love and yet God's love blows that right out of the water. So let me explain to you what kind of love is. When when it says God so loved, here's the kind of love that God so loved with. There's four types of love in the Bible. There's an eros love, like a romantic love, like a sexual love, like an attraction sort of love. You know, like some of you experienced this before. Like, oh man, my heart's thumping. I love her, right? Because you're attracted to her. That's one type of love. There's a storge love or storage love. It's, it's the family love. You know, you're born into a family and there's this innate sense in you that you love your brother, you love your mother, you love your cousin. And so there's, there's another kind of love, this, this family sort of love with the relationships God's given you. There's a philia love, a friendship love where you have a com- kind of the companion, the pal, the buddy, buddy love, the brotherly love kind of thing like we share with other believers, love that cares and love res- that respects and love that has compassion. We're kind of familiar with all of those, but there's another kind of love in the Bible that this is talking about in John chapter 3.16, and the word for this is agape. This is a special term representing the divine love that God has towards his son, towards human beings, and towards all believers. This love is the highest form of love because this love is a perfect love, It's a sacrificial love. It's a pure love. It's an, get this word, unconditional love. And this is the type of love that your heart really longs for above all the other things. Yes, I know you want to be desired. I get that. Yes, I know you want to have friends. I get that. Yes, I know you want to be loved by yourself. But this is the kind of love that God has designed your heart to truly be complete in agape love that ultimately comes from God himself. And agape love, the special thing about agape love, it's not a feelings-based love. It does involve feelings, but it's not a feelings-based love. It's an action-based love. It's not an I love you because of anything, but I love you because it's who I am. It's what I do. This is how God loves you. We're not quite so familiar with that type of love in our culture, are we, in our own day and age? This type of love is not flippant. You know, I love because I just got that loving feeling today, so I love you. But tomorrow we'll see what happens. That's, that, that's not the type of love we're talking about with agape love. It's not a contingent love. Hey, I love you. I love you. If you do this, this, and this, and if you meet all my criteria, I love you. And, and if you scratch my back, I'll love you. That's a kind of contingent love. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not even a negligent love. We've all been guilty of this before, right? Love you, but meaning nothing, nothing we're going to do upon that love that we just professed. This is like a all talk, no action, a negligent love. It's not like that kind of love. The love that we're talking about here in John 3.16 is an unconditional love, an everlasting love, regardless of who you are, where you've been, what you have done, or what you are doing. Stop and think about that for a minute. Even when I preach, I'm like, these things are hitting me again. This type of love that's an agape love, let me me say this again slowly. Consider this for your own heart. I I believe God wants you to know this today. Here's a type of love that God has for you, an agape love. It's an everlasting love, irregardless of who you are, 
where you've been, what you have done, or what you are doing. God loves you. For God so loved. This is meaningful, brothers and sisters. That word love, we use it far too often in so many ways that we almost don't believe it when people tell us anymore. Because what does that mean? Does that mean you liked what I did, just did? Does that mean that you like the way I look? Is that like a love for this week and as soon as I tick you off, not next week? But you gotta consider the source of where this love comes from. And you know, you go to a sporting game and you wear your, the right shirt and people are yelling across the stadium, love you! Does that mean anything to you? High fives maybe? You know, at work and a coworker, you know, like you do something for them and, and get them out of work early. They're like, hey, I just love you, man. You slap you on the back. You kind of you makes you feel good for a second. You're like, really, there's not much to that, right? You kind of dismiss it and go on your way. You, you come home from work and your kids tell you love you or your wife tells you love you or your friends tell you love you and, and you believe it. You look in their eyes. It's a little more meaningful, right? You see the different levels of like stranger to like someone you know. It means, it means a little bit more because you can see it in their eyes. You know they, they believe it, but then you ultimately know too that, that your wife can't or husband can't love you the way that you ultimately need to be loved and you know that as you look at your kids that, that they're going to let you down. They're not going to really be able to fulfill that perfectly. But then when God says it, Isn't that like a whole other like rung on the ladder? When God says it, it means something because he means it. Let me just stop and let this sink in for a bit. I know you're probably like me and you hear this message all the time. You kind of expect this in church. But it's sometimes hard to grasp the meaning of it, isn't it? Like you want this, you know this, but it feels like you're just... You look in the mirror and you're like, really, God, can you really love me? I gotta even love myself. How can you love me? You come out of those weeks and you sing about the love of God in church and that you're like, but God, I just failed all week long. Do you really love me? I'm the poorest excuse of a Christian in this room. Do you really love me? Or you just the simple reality, like I know it, but I don't see God. I don't f- touch him, I can't t- Do you love me? Ever find yourself in one of those places? You can nod with me. Leave me standing here all by myself. It's already a lonely place. Here's what you have to know if you're going to thrive in your walk with God, if you're going to thrive in your life as a Christian, if you're going to grow deeper in your faith, you just have to know this today. No matter what you look at in the mirror, you know what God looks at? He sees someone he loves. With all of your flaws, all of your insecurities, you see someone he loves. You think about your weak and all the things that you failed, and you know what God looks at? He doesn't see a failure. He sees a kid that he loves so desperately. You know when you think there's just no possible way that God can love you? My kids tell me this all the time, do you really love me, Dad? Do you really love me? How can you even say that? I don't know how else to express it. You just have to know this. God still loves you, whether you feel it or think it or believe it or not. God still loves you. You need to believe that this morning. That's what's extravagant about God's love that, that, that sets him apart from us. Here's a third thing that says extravagant about the love of God. It covers an unprecedented scope. It covers the world. Number three, 
God's love is extravagant because it covers an unprecedented scope. It covers the world. Here's what makes God's love even more monumental. He gives it to who? For God so loved the world. John MacArthur tells us this is, a, this is a, the world means it's a humanity in the general sense. God loves everybody. Some scholars have tried to make this. Well, it doesn't, must, can't mean world because, because God only loves believers or the elect. So what it really, really means is God loves the elect. That's what some people believe. But the word actually means it's all of humanity. And, and but they've sinned and God's wrath is on sinners, so how can he love and have wrath at the same time? He can, we just went over that. The reality is, if you're an, for an unbeliever, that, that yes, they're dead in their sins, and yes, their sins have eternal consequences, yes, there's gonna be judgment for them at the very end, but here's a truth that is also true. In the midst of all of those realities, God still loves the world. Says, tells us this in 2 Peter 3.9. God's desire is that none should perish, but that all that would would come to repentance. It says in in Ezekiel 33.10 that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So how does this all fit together? Even when you think of verses like Psalm 5.5, but it says that God hates the the sinner. Here's the reality. The sin is so attached to the sinner, but it's the sin that God hates. It's like as parents. We We can be exasperated and frustrated with our kids. And, and overly angry at them for right reasons, but guess what? Every parent knows this. You can't stop loving your kids. Oh, yes, you want to. I won't say the words because it's gone on tape, right? But you want to. <laughs> to your kids sometimes. But here's the reality you still love them. That's the way God is. And when it says that God hates the sinner, the sin is so a part of his, God just hates the sin so drastically. But don't miss this. The love of God is broad. It goes to the whole world. Of all the 7.5 billion people on this earth, how many of those does God love? How many? Quiz. Quiz number two, how many? All of them. Just 3% evangelical? Just 10% that are somewhat religious? Just maybe 50? No, it's all of them. Think about that, 7.5 billion people and God loves them all. There's this sociologist that came up with this uh, thing called the, the Dunbar's number and what he determined is that human beings have only the capacity to love up to 150 people in true meaningful relationships at one time. That's a lot of people, don't you think? And for someone to maintain that, it's not through Facebook, okay? That's superficial, But for someone to maintain 150 deep, meaningful relations, they would have to spend 42% of their time investing in those friendships. Dunbar's number is way off. I look at my own life, and I think I could count the deep, meaningful relationships on two hands because life is so busy and life is so so frantic, and we are running here, there, and everywhere. And think about this. I can love maybe 10 or 15, maybe 20, maybe 25 people I can have deep, loving relationships with. You know, I've got my family, some of my extended family, some of you guys that I can really intimately know. but, But think of your limited capacity to truly love. God doesn't have that. God can love 7.5 billion people at the same time with as much intensity as he wants to have or can have. Doesn't that blow your mind a little bit? So what are you teaching your pastor? You're teaching universal salvation? I am not teaching that at all. I'm not saying because God loves everybody that everyone's gonna love God and become saved and get to heaven. That's not it. God loves everyone. He sends his message of I love you to the world. 
For for majority of the world, it's called the general call. It's on it's it's just the general call. It's seen in creation. It's seen through the word of God. It's it's seen through you and I telling people about God's love. And it's like a billboard. God has a billboard so that the world will every person in the world will drive by the billboard that says God loves you. And yet there's a deeper reality going on in God's economy of love as well. There's, there's a certain group of people that God calls the elect that he, he goes to their house and he doesn't just have it on a billboard. He rings the doorbell and he personally lets them know that here's the invite. I love you. And, and there's a compelling reality of, of, wow, you love me and something stirs in your heart and you just you can't help but love God back. That's called the effectual call. And so God's, yes, loves the world in an external way, but only some understand that in an internal way. So I'm not preaching universal salvation here, but I am preaching this. Make no mistake about this. God has a limitless capacity to love. Limitless capacity to love. And it's not just the broadness of the world that makes God's love so amazing. It's also how bad the world is that makes God's love so amazing. D.A. Carson said this, God's love in John 3.16 is not amazing because the world is so big, but because the world is so bad. Did you get that? God's love is not so extravagant because the world is so big, but the world is so bad. Think about this. Think about how messed up the world that we live in is. There's bad stuff that happens out there. Turn on the news. You'll see it. There's a couple feel-good stories, right? Somewhere in there, but most of it's bad news. Turn on the radio and listen to all the junk that's on the radio and the songs and the things you're talking about and you're like, ah! Take a stroll through your neighborhood and think about how the people in your neighborhood live and, and how that must be so, so grievous to God. Go on a Friday or Saturday night downtown St. Catherine, just stroll or drive if you want. Just, just go down the main street and see what's happening. Better yet, drive down Lundy's Lane. We don't drive down Lundy's Lane often in Niagara Falls because it reminds you how bad the world is. There's strip clubs and there's, last week there was, five people were shot at one and, and drug deals going on. I sat in front of a drug deal going on in Niagara Falls not too long ago down to the evangelism thing and, and you're looking around going, man, this world is bad. And it's not just the, those things, the murders and the rapes and the, all the, how about this, take a, take a stroll down the back alley of your own heart. And see what kind of sin is in there. The world is full of gossips and cheats and liars and immoral. Idolaters. And yet get this. This is astounding. You think about perfect, moral, holy God, the world, the, the, the way the world is. Get this. For God so loved the world. You with me? That's an extravagant love. Again, think of your own self. You love those that are nice and those that look right and those that that maybe fit into your mold of what should be and shouldn't be. God loves the world. As sinful, as rebellious, as depraved as we are, enemies of God, he loves the world. This makes God's love so vast it's incomprehensible. As one songwriter says, as one songwriter says, God's love is as vast as the ocean. So do a little research. Well, how big is the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean? Get this. The Atlantic Ocean holds 82 billion, billion gallons. Like, there's two in there. I didn't stutter. There's two. 
In other words, 82 quadrillion gallons in comparison to uh, Lake Ontario, uh, six quadrillion gallons. The, the Atlantic Ocean has enough water that, that we could all be sustained on forever, it seems. The whole world right now could drown in the Atlantic Ocean. Get this, if that's a picture of God's love, God's love can sustain us all at the same time. We can all drown in the love of God and never find the bottom. That's awesome. You need to know that today to get a bit of a picture of the love of God. Here's a fourth remarkable thing about how extravagant God's love is. It's expressed through an indescribable gift, Jesus. God's love is extravagant because it's expressed through an indescribable gift, Jesus. These next two words should rock us to the core if we understand anything about God and his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God gave his only son. We as his estranged creation, God still chose to give us his son. Romans 5, 8, in that will, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Those of you who don't have sons or daughters don't understand the significance of somebody that you love so deeply. But those of you who do, for those of you who don't, just, just picture your, your closest friend, the one that you cherish so much. The, the, for those of you who do, you, you get the idea here of what it means to give up a son, to, to give a gift of a son. And, and Jesus wasn't just any son. Jesus is the son of God. God called him, said about Jesus, that this is the one whom, whom I am well pleased. This, this, this is the one whom I exalted to the highest of places, the right hand of the Father. This son... Uh, enjoyed a special, intimate oneness with his father from before creation began, and yet because God looked down upon us and saw that messed and broken up and sinful world like I just talked about, he knew that his only option to save us was through his son, so he offered up his son for our sins. And this son, Jesus, the head of all things, the one whom all things were created for and in, this son Jesus came into a sin-cursed world to actively engage in our lives. This son Jesus became a man to dwell among us and share in the sufferings that we brought on ourselves through our rejection of God and his ways. And God, the giver of life, gave up his son as the greatest act of love the world has ever known so that he could effectively take away our sins and we can have a, rest, a restored relationship with our Father. This is an indescribable gift that God has given us in His Son. As I floundered around this week trying to find a good way to say it in a different way, a good illustration for you, I came across a story that's an allegory, but it's a really good story of, of showing you how significant, how, how significant it is that God gave up His Son, how much God loves you. You, you wonder if God really loves you? Look no further than Jesus. Here's a story about 19, the end of 1930 after the Great Depression, a guy named uh, John Griffith uh, moved up his family to Midwest in the United States trying to, trying to uh, find a job. He found a job as a, a drawbridge operator opening up the waterways for the boats on the Great Mississippi River. So his job every day was to see the trains coming and see the boats coming and navigate it all, make sure the tracks was up at the right time, the tracks was down. And one day he took his little eight-year-old son to work with him. And his son was amazed at the 
what his daddy got to do for a living. They had spent a great morning watching the trains go whistling by and, and open up the bridge for the boats. And they had a great time. And so at lunchtime, the father opened up the bridge for a boat and said, let's go eat some lunch down by the river, son. And so they went down by the river and were hanging out, having a great time. And as sometimes happens, you get lost in those fun moments. And so he got lost in the moment. And next thing he knew, there's down by the riverbank, the 107 train to Memphis, the whoo, whoo. And he's like, ah, the bridge. Son, you stay here. You're running up to the bridge, and he's panicked. He's like, there's 400 people on this boat, on this train to Memphis, and if I don't get the bridge down, they're all going to die. And so he went, he went bolting up to the controller room, and he looked, and he summarized he had enough time to get the bridge down, and so he's about to push the button, but as they're trained to do, he looked to make sure everything else was clear, and to his horror, to his absolute horror, he looked down, and guess who's sitting right where the bridge is going to land on the tracks? It's his son. Apparently when he left, his son went to follow him and got a better view of where his dad was, but it was right in the exact wrong spot and horrified from the booth, he's like, son, no! Looking at the train, looking at his son, he had a split second decision, 400 people are his son. Reached up in one agonizing moment of utter despair, he pulled the lever to let the bridge go down and slammed his face into the control room and just wept uncontrollably in anguish at the loss of his son. Couldn't even pull himself together. After a minute and a half of what just happened, he opened his eyes to see the train going barreling by safe and sound, but everybody on that train was oblivious to what just happened. Businessmen doing their thing, you know, the ladies sipping tea, the kids eating ice cream and playing games, and some people sleeping, and he just wanted to scream. But you don't realize that my son, don't you realize my son? You know what, it's just an allegory. Someone took a true story and made it a little more just to try and prove a point, but you know why it's an allegory? Because there, is, there are no other examples of this in human history other than God doing this with his son, Jesus. There's no other stories that compare. This is the one. This is the ultimate. This is truth. This is fact. This is not fiction. And yet, understand this about God's love for you, as the John Griffith did it in reaction to like, uh-oh, what do I do now? God didn't do it in reaction. God was proactive in sending his son. When, when God created the world, when God created you and I, he knew we'd rebel. He knew we'd choose to get on a train to go to, going towards how he knew we'd choose sin over a savior, and yet he still created us knowing that his number one plan, plan A, was always going to be to send his son Jesus to bridge the gap for us to get us from this riverbank called earth to this riverbank called heaven. God chose to create us knowing that he was going to give up his son to die as a sacrifice for our sin. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. If you've ever doubted that God loves you, if you've ever doubted that God loves you, if you've ever doubted that, that God is for you, look no further than Jesus Christ, the cross. Look no further than the indescribable gift of God's love that he gave you to satisfy the penalty for your sin that he'd put on his son. God loves you that much. God loves you that much. No matter what you believe about yourself, whether you can accept it or not, God loves you that much. 
I've always had a hard time understanding this whole thing about God's love. I have to be honest with you. I know it. Man, it's hard to know it. I remember when I was told you when I was first saved, like that was a moment when I was in first year of college that, that God really seemed to open my eyes to the fact that he loves me. But I've, I've always still grappled with it. I wish I could say I had a better grasp on it than I do, but I don't. You know the first time it really started becoming even more alive in my heart in a greater way than in my whole life it was when I was 30 years old, believe it or not. I've been a pastor for a number of years at that point, and I remember the date. It was March 1st, 2004. I sit in my little office at the church, and a phone call came in, and Ruth's like, Daryl, it's time. I was, I was even more hyper then than I am now. I was wired. Went busting out of the office, like high-fiving the janitor, doing the Mary Poppins heel clicks out, jumped in the car, got her home, like, honey, it was the time that the day Zach was born. Honey, like, like, you want me to carry to the car? She's like, please, just open the car, let's go. Got in the car, drove 175, maybe 180, no exaggeration, down the 401, because I thought, if I get pulled over now, I get a police escort. This is the perfect time. <laughs> so my little Honda was moving. Got to the hospital, actually stopped for a little snack on the way, because she said that it was going to be a while, so don't do that, guys. Don't do that. I got myself some snacks at Max. Got to the hospital, like, anxiously awaiting. I was so excited and got in trouble a few times because you're not supposed to talk, apparently, when women are going through all this pain. You're not supposed to, like, make jokes or anything like that. <laughs> Remember the moment Zach was born, my eyes were like saucers, and I, I didn't know what I'd feel. Like, I'd held a lot of babies before, and I'm not, like, this super mushy-gushy, cuddly guy, you know? So I was like, I don't know what I'm going to feel. So baby was born, and I was like, in, in awe. They put him on Ruth's chest, and she held him for a little bit. Then the nurse came over and put him in my arms, and she put him in my arms. Like, something, like, weird happened to me that it's even hard to explain. Like, I was mesmerized by this kid. Like, I felt, and I was, I was honestly worried. I haven't bonded with my kids. I, I had this instant connection that I can't even describe to you today. There was love for this kid that is indescribable in my heart. I remember looking at him, and I'm like, man, he is one ugly little kid. <laughs> and I'm like, Ruthie looks like my dad. She's like, don't say that. I'm like, but he does. He was all gross and goose and little munchkin face, you know. And... But I couldn't take my eyes off him. And in that moment, like, the nurse came and she seemed like first, she's like, you know, take the kid back. I'm like, uh-uh, nope. She can wait. She just get, she just get healed anyway. She can wait. And we're just looking at him. And overflowing, my heart was just a thumping with, I'm not an overly weepy guy, but my eyes were walling up and my chin was quivering. I remember thinking like, man, I would give my left, I just met this kid for like 30 seconds. I'd give my left arm for this kid. No, no, I wouldn't. I'd give my life for this kid. Can't even describe it. And all that happened, I don't even know how long it was, but all that happened that moment was this, this, this thought came to me at that very moment. I said, I'd give my life for this kid. This is how much God loves you, Daryl. <laughs> that he took his very son and he offered him up. Not like an offered him up, like offered him up that you would have life. Oh, the love of our God, amen? Oh, the indescribable gift of Jesus. This is what makes God's love so out of this world. It's like nothing we've ever seen or known here on earth. God is a God of love. Here's the last thing I want you to know. This is what, this is what makes God's love extravagant. Here's the last thing that makes God's love extravagant. Point number five, God's love has been freely given that I might believe and live. God's love has been freely given that I might believe and live. For God so loved 
the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This is the love of God. God gave us his son that, that we wouldn't perish, but have eternal life. You're like, what, am I ta- what are you talking about? Everyone's gonna die. The cemeteries are full. I'm not talking about dying physically one day. We're all gonna die physically, but we're talking about, when he's talking about perishing here, he's talking about the eternal perishing. He's talking about escaping God's final judgment that we all deserve for our sin. Jesus freely came not to condemn us, but to save us from perishing. That's actually what verse 17 says. Many people know verse 16, but not verse 17. Here's verse 17. For those of you who think that God's an an angry God out to get them. For God did not send his son, Jesus, into the world to condemn the world, but in order the world might be saved through him. See those two words? He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. He didn't come to pound. He came to rescue. You know why it says that? We're like, what about all this sin stuff then? Because we're already condemned in our sin. Jesus didn't condemn us. We're already condemned in our sin. We've already broken God's laws. We've already proven that we're rebellious towards God. Jesus didn't need to tell us that or prove that. We've already proven that by the way we think and the way we talk and the way that we act. So Jesus came to save us from our sins. Well, not me. I haven't proven that I'm condemned to perish. Actually, think of the Ten Commandments. Think of the Ten Commandments. You ever had another God in your life that maybe elevated above God, then you've broken that commandment. You ever, you ever committed adultery, even in your mind or your heart, as New Testament tells us, well, then you've broken that commandment. You ever coveted your neighbor, what they have more than what you have? Well, even you've broken that commandment. Failed to honor your father and mother, there's another one. You can go through the list, there's a bunch of them. And here's the deal with God. You break one commandment, you break them all. You break one commandment in our culture, you have a record, Right? That follows you. You break one commandment in God's law and you have a record. And here's the deal. When you get to heaven, it's a pure place. There's no, there's no room for evil in that place. You get to heaven and God's like, you got a clean record? Well, I don't have a clean record. Well, this is a pure, perfect place. We let you in and that's going to mess this whole heaven thing up. I'm so sorry. So that's the plight of all of us. We're, we stand condemned because we've broken the law of God. And so Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Here's what Jesus came for. God says, hey, 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 Jesus, look, all those people down there, they're condemned. If you don't go and stand in the gap for them, if you don't go and be their defense lawyer, if you don't go and cover over all their sin and pay their penalty, then they're not gonna get to heaven. Go and do that, Jesus. That was his mission. Jesus came to rescue and to save and to defend the unrighteous and to make us righteous before God that we would have heaven. If we have Jesus, we won't perish. We're going to die. We're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. But, but we're going to, our record's going to be made plain and obvious before God. Here's our record. And Jesus is going to take it and say, but, but I'm his defense and I'll take that record. And I get rid of it. His now record is clean because of me. Because I took his place. So whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so here's the last part of this. We've been freely given that I might believe and live and Eternal life here, believe is, believe is this. It's not just a, I see that, I understand that, I get that. Like, I'm a smart person, I get the, how it all works together, but believe is to actually go beyond that. It's being compelled to love Jesus 
It's, it's, it's an action word, believe. It's not like, mm-hmm. It's a, it's a I believe. Like, like, I believe. If I really believe that I have one defender that's going to get me off in this case, like, I'm going to run to that defender. I'm going to reach out to that defender. I'm going to stay close to that defender. That's what believe is, is that I want to be close to Jesus. I want Jesus to represent me. I want to know the fullness of God's love through his son. If we believe in him, we'll have eternal life. And I want you to know this, eternal life just just isn't for the day that you die. Eternal life is right now. It's when the Lord puts the Holy Spirit in you and your dead heart becomes alive and your heart starts beating to the tune of Jesus now and, and you have a life that you never knew you could have because you have a fullness of life and a connection with your Father God. And so this is how God wants us to respond. It takes a response. And so it's not just that God so loved the world, No, everyone's getting to heaven. It's God so loved the world. Now, for all who believe in him, for all who believe in him, for all who embrace him will not perish but have eternal life. There's many people that know these things. They know these things. They understand this truth. But they don't believe because they've done nothing with it. Think about it. To truly love somebody, love has to be reciprocated for love to be truly full and truly real. We've all chased people around trying to love them, right? Right? But I love you, but I love you, and I don't want to love you. Is that, it's really not a relationship. It's, so God can chase us around saying, I love you, I love you, but here's what it takes to truly know and understand and experience God's love. It takes you saying, God, you love me, but I want to love you back. It'd be like me coming up to any one of you. I'm going to use Mark here for an example because he's in the front row, and I used him first service and freaked him out, so I'm going to use him second just because he's ready. You'd be like me coming up to Mark and saying, you just did it for me. Mark, I love you, man, I love you. And the first time I did that, he's like, oh, boy, this is awkward first service should have been here. It's pretty funny. And I was like, no, Mark, I really love you. Can I give you a hug? And you know, there's many people who want to give you a hug. And you're like, I don't want a hug. You know, Mark's like, sure, I'll give you a hug. So here, here's what it is to really believe is to, yeah, a little moment there with Mark. It was like that. It... <laughs> to believe is to receive is what I'm trying to say. To believe is to receive. And so God sent his son, arms outstretched. I love you, but it takes a response in us to want to love God back. This is how it works with God's love. And so does God love the world? Yes. Does the world fully grasp the love of God? Absolutely not. Because they respond the way Mark did first service, sit there, arms crossed. This is weird. I don't want anyone to love me. I want to do my own thing. I don't want to do things your way, God. God's love is not some mere sentiment, but something that he showed in a tangible way that we must reach out and embrace. So what does this leave us? This leaves us with two things as we think about the love of God. It doesn't just leave us going, oh, that's an intellectual concept. Here's the love of God, brothers and sisters. Here's where it leaves us. There's two things we need to do in response to this. Number one is to come to Jesus. <laughs> Plain and simply, there's no other way to put it. Come to Jesus. Why would you not accept this love that God offers? It's your life. It's your eternity. It is your fullness. It is your meaning. Where God is found, there is life. And so what God calls us to and to respond, to, to believe is to receive, to receive Jesus, to receive the free gift of salvation, to say, God, I'm gonna turn from myself. I'm gonna turn from my sin. I realize that that is getting me nowhere. That's destroying my life. It keeps me out of relationship with you. And instead, oh God, I'm gonna turn to Jesus and I'm gonna repent of my ways and I'm gonna come to Jesus and allow him to put into my life all the fullness of the forgiveness and the love of God. It's come to Jesus to experience the embrace of a father. I guarantee you that many people in church, 
know these things and have gone to church their whole lives and somehow miss the fullness of God. They know the fullness of God. They miss the fullness of God because they've never truly repented of their sin and embraced the love of God through Jesus Christ. Even if you're sitting here today and you know and you're watching other believers, you're watching them being changed by the love of God, you're watching them experiencing the wonder of God, and you're like, I don't experience that. I'm dead on the inside. Here's what God wants. God wants you to maybe for the first time come to him today and truly repent and truly embrace your Savior. If God's speaking to you today and you're tired and tired and tired of not knowing this love that everyone else has, then come to Jesus today and let God show you his love in a real and tangible way. Second thing is this, it's to commune with Jesus. Not just to come to Jesus, but to commune with Jesus. So many people think salvation is a matter of just coming and saying a prayer and going on their way. That's not how God's love works. Just give you a gift, I'm gonna hug you and take my gift and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and get my free pass for heaven in my back pocket and I can live however I want. That's not it. It's come to Jesus, but commune with Jesus. God sent his son that you'd have a relationship with him through his son. And so what God wants in our lives, how do we respond to this love? God wants us to wake up in the morning and love him with all that we have and say, God, I want to embrace you again this morning. We heard this last week and we say it all the time, but I want to wake up. I want to get into the word. I want to pray. I want to commune with you, God. I don't want to live my life for myself anymore. I don't want to go my own way. I want to walk with Jesus. It's it's more of this. It's a hug and not a see you later, see you in heaven. It's more of a hug. Which way are you going, Jesus? I want to go too. And I'm going to walk with you hand in hand and I'm going to live my life for you and for your glory. I'm done with sin and all the things that are so destructive to myself and an offense to God. I assure you that some of you maybe know this truth and believe this truth and have lived this truth, but somehow in your life, You're not experiencing the love of God because you wandered from the communion with God. Living in sin, neglecting God, all the things that you're just living your life your way and you're wondering, why don't I experience God's love? How does everyone else experience God's love? Why don't I experience God's love? Because you're missing the point. The point isn't just to come to Jesus and embrace him. It's then to walk with him every day and let him change you and shape you and mold you and lead you in your life. Sure, some today might need to come back to God again. You've been living your life, but Jesus is so far from you, you've forgotten that he loves you just to come back and once again experience the fullness of God's love and then make a choice today. Today, I'm gonna walk in the reality of the love of God. Here's the truth we can't miss today. Here's the truth. Three words that'll change your life. Three words we're gonna study for the next seven weeks from different angles, three words. You are loved. You believe it? You believe it? Let me say it again. You've heard a sermon on it. I can just tell some of you are still like wrestling. You are loved by God today. As you are, no matter where you've been, no matter where you're going, God loves you and just wants you to embrace his love in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for 
the powerful truth of your word. Oh God, would you protect us from being people that can quote this verse and can share it with everybody else but miss out on the fullness of the love of God in our own hearts. Oh Father, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. We are lost and desperate sinners, Lord, who so earnestly need a savior. Thank you for giving Jesus the most indescribable gift as a way of reflecting your love for us and for this world. God, I pray today specifically for different groups of people in this room, of which I'm sure there is some in each category. God, I pray for those who've never encountered your love and they know it. They know it, Lord. They're not living for you. They don't care about you. Or maybe they, they have been trying so hard in their own selves, their own flesh, but, but nothing's ever in their inner being been overwhelmed with the love of, our, of their God. Father, would today be that day? Would you open their eyes, Lord? Would you give them faith? Would you give them a heart to see and believe and respond to the truth of your love? God, I pray if there's one here today that doesn't know for sure that they are found in you and are gonna be with you in heaven because of their sin and their rebellion, God, I pray you'd save souls today in this room. God, I pray for those who are wandering Maybe they've experienced your love in a long time. And again, they know, they know what it's supposed to be, but nothing inside of them beats for you, God. They are dead to even sermons. They're dead to worship music. They're dead to the scriptures. They're dead to the things of God. Oh, Father, would you help them see today how deeply you love them as expressed by Jesus Christ on the cross. Would you break them, Lord, of anything in their heart that's keeping them from you? Would you help them, Lord, come back to you today? Draw them, Lord, pull them, open their eyes to the fullness of the beauty of the wonder of the God who loves them, I pray. Only you can do that, Lord. You'd be so gracious to hear our prayers today. Pray for those, God, in this room that know this and believe this and are swimming in the ocean of God's love. I pray, O oh Lord, that you take us to new depths and, and understand your love in greater ways that we would truly drown ourselves and be consumed in the love of our God. There's no greater place to be, Father. There's no more joy, no more fulfillment than that. Would you work in our hearts, God, to make your love a deeper reality in us, in all that we think and do and say. For all of us, God, surround us, overwhelm us, pour your love down upon us that we might be in your perfect will and experience all that you want us to experience in life. In Jesus' name.